Mahalo for Lava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suiswiki. E nei. New Zealand's caretaker governments are urged to speak out against new allegations of Indonesia's military. Also, I've been to a few departments and people don't go to work. Access to official information on Vanuatu is still limited. And later, an upcoming conference in Fiji looks at the Pacific region's cybersecurity. West Papua Action Aotearoa is calling on New Zealand's caretaker government to speak out against new allegations of Indonesian military torturing children in Papua. The Guardian this week reported details of a high school student, Witi Unue, who was tortured and killed by Indonesian military officers in April this year. The report said the young student, a promising musician and songwriter, had been interrogated and detained by the military on the 7th of April, along with three other boys and two young men who they accused of being part of the rebel West Papua Liberation Army, or TPNPB. A spokesperson for West Papua Action Aotearoa, Catherine Delahanti, is calling on the caretaker government to speak out now. She spoke with Kuroi Hawkins. Well, the recent news from um, West Papua is very, very serious and that this week um, um, evidence of child torture and the death of one child by the hands of the Indonesian forces has come to light in in the, in the militarised area in the highlands and the Indonesian um, military forces are acting with impunity towards civilians and now um, these atrocities against children. Um, a high school student was tortured and killed by the military, and other young students were also tortured in horrific ways. And this is part of a military crackdown in the Highlands, which is way out of control, whereby the Indonesian military are burning villages, and now children are being interrogated and tortured, and it's unacceptable. This is related to to the increased sort of activity that's come in relation to the New Zealand uh, pilot who was taken hostage uh, and the increased military presence as a result of, as, as Indonesia put it, looking for a, a resolution to that situation. Yes, well, a sort of military occupation of the Highlands using violence against children is hardly a solution to the kidnapping situation. And we really can't, um, we can't endorse the kidnapping, but we cannot endorse this um, as an excuse for the incredible increases in, in violence against civilians that are taking place in the area. There are many, many issues associated with the increased military presence and the, the torture of children would be the most extreme um, that we've heard for some time, but there's a lot else in terms of human rights abuses. And so we're calling on our government to speak out now uh, about the, these human rights abuses of children um, because they need to speak out strongly now um, and not just remain silent. Of course, the situation is yet to be resolved um, between the TPMB and um, and, and the, our government in terms of the, what we hope will be the safe return of a New Zealand citizen. But that doesn't justify the Indonesian military actions against children, young people and communities. Um, and we support the calls by human rights experts for open access for human rights investigation into these matters. One thing we always struggle with here um, at RNZ Pacific with in, in relation to reporting on West Papua um, is, is obviously the, the language barrier with Bahasa Indonesia, but also just verifying and getting there's so much um, 
reports that are to the extreme on both the Indonesian um, security forces and government side, but also from the TPNB. How how are you managing sort of verifying and getting accuracy on in, in your uh, advocacy and campaigning on this matter? We have great faith in organisations such as Human Rights Watch, who are based in, in Jakarta. Um, we have great faith in local journalists who actually do the job of taking a very balanced view. We're not taking um, our media information from from the the fighters who are uh, the freedom fighters who are in the highlands. We're taking the information from reliable media in West Papua, which has to be West Papua led, may I say, because we can't trust Indonesian forces. Um, and we do we do follow very closely the human rights organisations that that have. Um, access to the situation on the ground. And we have contacts through um, West Papua and people we know that, that lead us to believe that the situation is probably worse than we know and worse than, actually, worse than what actually happens to reach the Western media. There's a cone of silence around what is going on in West Papua. And what concerns us is that our government keeps silent when they need to speak out far more strongly on this. And we are urging them to do that it would be a proud thing if, um, in the last weeks of this particular government if they stood up strongly and told the world that the torture of children and the deaths of young people at the hands of the military in West Papua is abhorrent, unacceptable, and that human rights um, investigations should be immediately allowed inside that country. Catherine, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you very much, Koroi. The executive director of Transparency Vanuatu, Willy Tokon, says while politicians are playing up, fighting for power and squabbling, many civil servants don't see the point in turning up to work. The 28th of September marks World Right to Information Day, a right Mr Tokon says nations across the Pacific don't have. He says he's been trying to set up a department that gives citizens the right to access government documents since 2017. But with the government still in crisis, progress is slow. He spoke with Lydia Lewis. Because these politicians are playing up and fighting for power, the civil servants are not actually doing any work. Maybe a few are doing some work, but a lot of people are not, they're not serious about work when uh, politicians are playing up like this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very disappointed because... You know, we used to have uh, politicians who were not very well educated. Now we have lawyers, we have uh, very educated people in the parliament, and it seems like they are trying to make use of every loophole that they can to make sure they get into power or they are in power or they stay in power. So actually, uh, our office, you know, obviously we we were actually discussing a few things, uh, including uh, maybe... Some of these people who are in power now, if we have, because there's also a talk of a dissolution of uh, the parliament. Yes. Uh, which happened uh, last year, and we had to go to a snap election in, on the 13th of October last year. These are all possible. If uh, if Sato gets into a problem next week, uh, but the constitution says, the Council of Ministers can advise, uh, through the Prime Minister, can advise the uh, President to dissolve the Parliament. And what impact so does that have on the public service? Not, not, very, not a very good uh, uh, effect because, uh, like I said, when the politicians are playing up and fighting for power and 
scoring about positions up there. Uh, I've been to a few departments and people don't go to work. Uh, you even hear, I even hear of people uh, being drunk at work. Uh, so it's not very good. I, I think I think the, they need to come to some some good senses. I always uh, tell even even the last government, I used to tell the, the ministers and the prime minister that you know in a democracy, yes, it's true we rule by we go by numbers, we have power by the numbers, but the democracy uh, must be uh, must be used with common sense. Uh, you know, it's it's no use uh, wasting a lot of money on this uh, extended sitting of parliament or calling of parliament. I mean, does there need to be a change, a change in the constitution? I mean, I'm not sure if it's something you can talk about, but I mean, what does there need to be some sort of change to stabilise government? Yes, um, yesterday late, yesterday late, uh, late afternoon. There's a few things. Number one is the integrity bill that is has been the, before the parliament since uh, I think it's only five, six years now. If if uh, that integrity bill is passed and it becomes a law, it will stop all this moving around. You know, if you belong to one party, the party moves as one. If you move away from that party, you vacate your seat. Uh, so that, that's, that's something that has, has not been... Uh, uh, it seems like uh, people are afraid, the uh, members of parliament are afraid to pass it because it will have, have control over them. Uh, the other two is yesterday in uh, our office, we were talking about a few things as well, like maybe the speaker of the parliament should not be an MP. It should be somebody neutral, something like Fiji. should be uh, just somebody who, is, uh, who should be appointed on merit. And the other thing is the public service. Public Service uh, Commission, like the chairman that we were talking about, uh, his, his appointment is recommended to the president by the prime minister of the day. So, for example, the one the one that uh, we have now, uh, I've been a director, and it, 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 I feel uncomfortable when, you know, we have some directors who are, and director generals who are very qualified people, and then you have a politician who put it in the university, trying to tell them what to do it doesn't make it doesn't make sense so we uh, i was suggesting it to our staff maybe we should find the chairman of the public service commission should be appointed on merit is there corruption what corruption are, are you seeing at the moment there's a lot of uh, corruption in the government if uh, if you read the uh, uh, global uh, corruption barometer last year most, most of the corruption in the in the country in in the pacific and uh, including Vanuatu, most of the corruption is in the, the most corrupt institutions are the president and the prime minister's office. Next are the next is the parliamentarians, and uh, the frightening part is the third and fourth are the police and the civil servants. And uh, this is uh, this is uh, this came out of experience, uh, the global uh, par uh, corruption parameter uh, in the last one. Wow. So it's uh, you know. If you uh, commit something and uh, you're related to the chief of police, then uh, you you will probably be treated very favorably. And uh, if you go to the civil servants uh, department and you want uh, a document, uh, most likely you will be asked to give 1,000 or 2,000 for his lunch before he can provide it. So th those things are happening.
And then appointments, appointments. Uh, we always say that somebody, uh, people should be appointed, right people should be appointed for, to the right position. It doesn't happen in one of A lot of times, it's, it's, if you are a strong supporter of this party, you got a good chance of getting unemployment. And tomorrow we'll hear from the Director of Transparency, PNG, about Information Freedom Day in the country. Experts from around the Pacific are being brought together in Nandi and Fiji next week to work out how to improve the region's cybersecurity. The Pacific Cyber Capacity Building and Coordination Conference is the result of the Pacific Islands Forum's commitment to recognise cybersecurity as a regional priority. It's being organised by the Oceania Cybersecurity Centre, and Don Wiseman asked the centre's director, Cameron Broadman, how bad was the state of cybersecurity in the Pacific? It's no worse or no better than the challenges that are faced by every country in the world. But there's one distinctive difference is that the Pacific is subject to some of the most significant undersea cable connectivity anywhere in the world that connects the west coast of the US with North, South Asia, Australia, New Zealand. And the amount of traffic that is going through these cables is quite extraordinary. And that necessitates a requirement for what happens above the sea i.e. the infrastructure on the ground, to be as good and resilient and, uh, and as up-to-date as anywhere else in the world. So it is quite a unique challenge that the Pacific actually has. Yes, to get to that state, it is something that is it's extraordinarily involved, isn't it? And it's going to require a lot of expertise, a lot of investment. Where's all that going to come from? It's a very good question because I think what we've seen in the past is there's been extraordinary investments out of Australia, New Zealand, Japan, the US, uh, the UK, of course, in the infrastructure to ensure that the Pacific has adequate digital connectivity. The one thing that our research has been demonstrating over a number of years now is that the commensurate amount of investment to enable skills and capabilities on the ground. So we're talking about threat intelligence, cyber governance, resilience, responsive capabilities probably hasn't kept pace with the infrastructure development. So this is now the next challenge for those nations to ensure that what matches the infrastructure is matched through skills and capability improvement. Exactly what we're trying to discuss and solve at the conference coming up in Fiji next month. You'll be talking to who? So we've invited all of the Pacific Island nations. Uh, we, We have 14 of them in full attendance at this stage. But most importantly, and this is what uh, is unique about this event, is that the eight governments, including the European Union, of the coalition of what's called the Partners in the Blue Pacific, so that's the UK, Australia, US, New Zealand, Japan, Germany, Canada and South Korea and the European Union, as I've mentioned, will be joining the Pacific Islands to hear firsthand what those challenges are, what those problems are, but most importantly, so that they get loud, clear messages to design their future policies and programs to specifically meet those needs of the Pacific. I can imagine there will be uh, a number of Pacific countries saying, well, where's China in all of this? Well, this is a a matter for the Pacific. This is understood amongst many governments that is a very significant geographic region. 
but the partners in the Blue Pacific was an initiative of the Pacific Islands Forums and, and the, the partners themselves are those countries that I've mentioned. And they have thought that it's within their geopolitical and strategic interests to form a partnership to represent the wishes of the Pacific Island nations and to provide funding to meet those desires. There's no requirements for the Pacific Island nations, of course, to accept funding from any specific source. They're entirely up to themselves as to uh, who they do business with and who they partner with. But there is the collective agreement and acknowledgement amongst all the nations of the Pacific that the Bowie Declaration, the recently signed Lakatoi Declaration, the Budapest Convention, multilateral agreements that do require investments from those countries willing to participate. And that is exactly why the Partners in the Blue Pacific was formed, to meet the international conventions and obligations against those widely acknowledged and agreed to declarations. Okay, so as far as this conference goes, this is a groundwork-laying effort. This is a process that's going to go on and on and on over a long number of years. Indeed. The Blue Pacific Agenda is is a, a strategy that is focused to be implemented between now and 2050. So there's a lot of work and a lot of activities and a lot of initiatives that, of course, need to happen between then and now to meet the objectives of that, that agreement. But what this conference is designed to really look at is what is the current situation? What are the current digital and cybersecurity challenges that the Pacific is faced with? But to give that very loud and clear message to those donor countries that we don't want to repeat what's happened in the past. We don't want donor countries to be spending money on private sector vendors predominantly and coming in and telling the Pacific what they think they should do. This is a case of the Pacific articulating their concerns, working with the donor countries on specific and strategic outcomes and really building that capability to meet the objectives under those international agreements. It is really putting the Pacific voices front and centre of future cybersecurity capacity building. That's Pacific Ways for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till fast so far.